Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence, and I'm in an awfully good mood today because I'm going to have a chance to speak to Dakota Wood in just a few seconds. He is the um, Senior Research Fellow, Defense Programs, Center for National Defense. He served America for two decades in the U.S. Marine Corps, and he's a foreign affairs specialist. Normally, we'd hear from Rob Louie, but today it's Dakota Wood. Dakota, welcome. Hey, uh, great to be with you. Yeah, we put Rob in like a mayonnaise jar and uh, <laughs> sealed it up. <laughs> yeah, well, tucked away for future use. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll look forward to talking to him someday in the sure. future. Yeah. So there is so much uh, what I would call fear and craziness going on in the world, yeah. especially when it comes to foreign affairs and the threat of war. And I don't even know where to start. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, Russia has been obviously dominating the use in its war in Ukraine. A lot of setbacks for Russia, which yeah. is good for Ukraine, but you're never quite sure where that's going to push you know, Putin in terms of some kind of a, a really crazy response. Uh, North Korea just fired a long-range missile over Japan, which sent uh, Japanese citizens you know, flying into underground shelters. And then, you know, China's always on the move as well, and we can't forget Iran. So there's there's a lot on the table these days. Right. Let's break it down just a little bit, because it seems to me that that Putin is almost completely out of his mind. And if he gets pushed far enough, who knows what he'll do. But the consequence of him going nuclear is extremely serious, right? Yeah, it's not zero. I mean, uh, everybody would think you have to be daft you know, to use a nuclear weapon. I mean, one, the destruction, it breaks this taboo that's been in place since the end of uh, World War II. Uh, Russia truly would become a pariah state. Uh, I mean, everybody would just gang up against him. So why in the world would he do that? But if you're an autocrat and uh, you feel a lot of domestic pressure, you know, to deliver on this gambit in Ukraine, nothing else is working out, and you're betting that the West will not reply with a with a counter strike using nuclear weapons. So maybe you can get past it. Maybe you can intimidate everybody into pulling back their support. And I think that's probably what's in his mind right now. Mm-hmm. Dakota, if um, Ukraine, um, if they hang in there, because I know they're going to, yep. and they seem to have what it looks to be like a pretty distinct advantage right now in this in this uh, campaign against Russia. Yeah, I mean, success breeds success. Yeah. Right? So motivation is really high on the Ukrainians. I mean, they've hold their, held their own against one of the top military powers, you know, assessed to date against Russia. This is uh, truly existential for them. It's their homeland. They've seen devastation. So, you know, these wins are just fantastic. But they've only been able to do that in, in reality because of intelligence support from the United States and others and this constant flow of munitions, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the artillery rounds and, and multiple launch rockets and just all this other stuff that's flowed in and the billions of dollars. And so if that dries up, then, then what would Ukraine have left? You know, they just don't have the industry to keep firing at their enemies right. and putting the Russians on their heels. So their continued to success is going to depend on the continued support from the United States and others in the European theater. 
Mm-hmm. Dakota Wood is my guest from the Heritage Foundation. Dakota, is any chance that Ukraine would be able to join NATO? Uh, not uh, while it's currently occupied by Russia. I mean, NATO, if you track the headlines, is, is just deathly afraid of engaging in open combat with Russia. You know, the United States doesn't want to go toe-to-toe with Russia no. because that really could spiral out, you know, into a nuclear conflict or, let's say, cyber attacks on the, on the national, you know, health care system or the finance sector or the power grid. You know, we'd be able to avoid all of that. So if Ukraine comes into NATO, then it gets the guarantee of an attack on one is an attack on all. Right. And it would bring in all of those other 29 or 30 countries, you know, if you bring in Finland and Sweden as well right. uh, with that. So, so I think, you know, they've applied for fast track. Uh, uh, membership, but uh, Stoltenberg, you know, the person who's kind of a chair of the NATO with the president and others are just not really of a mind to bring them in. Yeah. I mean, if if that happened, and I'm not saying it's going to, clearly, mm-hmm. but if it did happen and there was that all-out assault from all these countries, we're calling that World War Three. Yeah, I, I do think so. And the West would win that. I mean, just in material, and the sophistication of systems, you know, all the things that you could bring to bear in a military sense, mm-hmm. it would be a huge win. But you can just imagine from the Russian perspective, you know, would Putin give up? Would he say, hey, I made a bad call? You know, sorry about that. Or would he double down? You know, would it really get into nuclear territory, right? And, mm-hmm. and just everybody is just so fearful of that for very good reasons. So um, there's going to be a lot of effort made to try to avoid that scenario, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Dakota Wood is my guest. Dakota, what is um, China's participation in all of this, and what should we be anticipating from their government? Well, they're not going to say uh, rah, rah, Russia outright, but they do love the fact that the U.S. and Germany and others are tied up in this big thing because it gives them freedom of movement, right? I mean, you know, our military, for example, and national attention span and economic uh, 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 setting and all is, is limited in a sense, right? So the more we are entangled and focused on what's going on in Europe, Mm-hmm. the less you're able to respond to Chinese provocations uh, in disputed you know, fishing areas, undersea mining, certainly the threat of a military action against uh, Taiwan. And, and so they would like to see this extended and sustained, you know, hence their trade arrangements and buying Russian energy, you know, trade agreements with, with Russia, and, and, uh, and saying, you know, we all just need to let this uh, be settled out between Russia and Ukraine without really anybody getting involved. So they're kind of playing this disinterested third party in a way, but it's to their benefit uh, the longer this thing lasts that keeps the U.S. and, and, and Europe distracted. Mm-hmm. Dakota, what is uh, Putin's endgame? Is he trying to build his own version of a Russian empire? Uh, Russian empire. I'm glad you said that. It's not the Soviet Union, right? He right. used this as kind of a czarist Russia, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th century, uh, views uh, these portions of Ukraine as, as Russian land that was uh, unfairly given away and should never have gone you know, to an independent Ukraine or come under the sway of uh, Western uh, ideals or anything like that. So this, the message to his, his Russian people, his citizens, is this is Russian stuff that we're just retaking. And in a recent speech, he cited the start of the Russian state uh, goes back 1,100 years, 1,160 mm-hmm. years. So that's the historical context he's painting to his people. And if there is criticism 
which is mounting in Russia. It's that he has not been successful. So he could actually feel additional pressure to get success, which would build then, you know, a, a much more blunt force uh, sort of approach to, to eking out some kind of win uh, there in eastern Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Dakota, what what kind of, um, I, I read these reports that leaders in the Russian army must be failing Putin because you hear stories of them yeah. accidentally falling off an eight-story building all the time. Yeah, boy, they do, don't they? Uh, yeah, they well, that's, a window or that's a not coincidence. Or, or roof line. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, in, in families or in business or in a sports team, if you're not honest with yourself, then you can, you can find yourself in, a, in an untenable situation. And so this has been the case in the Russian military uh, for probably three or four decades, where they'll have big exercises, the report back up the chain to the boss says, oh, we're so good, you know, everything is going so well. And so Putin takes them at their word, feels that he's got a juggernaut military capability, and then execution, the logistics aren't there, small unit leadership isn't there, the equipment isn't working as he had been told. And so we're finding out the reality is much, much different than the rhetoric. You know, the stories that were told, the falsified reports of unit readiness and, and the combat effectiveness of various equipment. So it was a bad gamble, but he thought he was doing it with a very powerful military. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dakota, you're a military strategist. So when you hear that Putin was going to go into uh, Kiev and conquer it in three days, how could they have been so off? They thought that they would not have any opposition from the Ukrainians, right? That this fearsome, intimidating Russian military power would just sweep everybody before it, right? And and if they look to U.S. success, if you think all the way back to 1991, our ground war against Saddam Hussein's Iraqi military in Kuwait, you know, they Mm -hmm. captured Kuwait, that was over 100 hours. Um, That was reprised in 2003, where we went to deliberate. Uh, Iraq from uh, Saddam Hussein, and it was just about a week or so uh, of serious ground fighting, and the Iraqi uh, units uh, melted away as well. So I think in the mind of Putin, um, people were just going to drop their weapons and run. And he was very surprised at the resistance mounted by Ukraine and then sustained again with this Western support. So there's a lot of background stuff. I can have a great tank and a great tank crew, but if I can't keep the tank refueled and rearmed mm-hmm. the ammunition, then it runs out, you know, in, in a matter of hours. And so all the logistical stuff behind didn't work. And he was, he went in on too many axes of advance, you know, too many lines, yeah. thin the force and was not able to overwhelm local opposition. Yeah. Dakota, you just mentioned Western support. What is your thought about all the support that Ukraine is getting from the West? I mean, I don't know how much the U.S. has sent over there, but it's a big number. It's a huge number. There was a, a $40 billion with Oof. the package that was authorized by the U.S. Congress. And my colleagues and I at the Heritage Foundation are hugely supportive of the military aid. You know, the beans and bullets and ammunition and the rocket launchers and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's essential to winning. But where we uh, would like to see transparency and accountability is in the other sorts of aid. You know, government salaries, humanitarian support. Uh, these are just blank checks that are written and sent over to Ukraine without any accountability for how that money is being spent. And the American taxpayer isn't well served by that. So weapons, warfare, good, you know, to keep that effort going on. But all the other things, 
really need some kind of an accountability. And I think that sense is widely held in in the D.C. analytic and foreign policy community. Mm -hmm. Dakota, as a military person, when you see a leader like Putin, who probably will never back down, what do you think when you when you think of a guy who's never going to back down? Well, that's, you know, we, we've talked before about peace through strength, you know, that old Reaganism and yeah. it's been cited, you know, over millennia. But but that's really important because you would like to talk things through peacefully, seek accommodation economically. You know, it benefits everybody. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with somebody like Putin or Kim Jong Un in North Korea or Ayatollah Khamenei in, in Iran, I mean, what they prize is strength. And where they can see opportunities, they will exploit those and take advantage. <laughs> They're not just going to reconcile, you know, or, or talk away their objectives in a Parisian tea salon, right? <laughs> and so I think this is a classic example of you think Putin is a Western kind of guy, you know, that he's modern, he's traveled quite a bit, and yet he seems to be immune to reason, right? So he uses brute force. So you, in these cases, you just have to plan for the worst, in military power, in cultural power, in economic power, uh, you just have to maintain strength, you know, to guard against as an insurance policy, you know, guard against these events where your competitor or opponent just won't listen to reason. Yeah, I like this idea of this Parisian tea salon. Maybe the Heritage <laughs> Foundation and Faith Radio will, you know, spend for us to go have that. So, oh my gosh, yeah, if we could solve all our problems <laughs> over cups of tea and biscuits, wouldn't that, that be oh, that'd be the best. Dakota Wood is my guest. He's a senior research fellow at the Heritage uh, Foundation. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. If you have a question about foreign affairs or what we've been talking about, you can text it over. It's the text line is open eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad to have Dakota Wood as my guest. He's a senior research fellow at the uh, Heritage. You can go to heritage.org to learn more about Dakota Wood. He spent two decades as a as in the, Mar- in the Marine Corps, and he's just also a senior research fellow for defense programs. So he knows his stuff. So, uh, Dakota, I'm thinking about the Russian people as they're starting to head towards fall and winter. What is What are their lives going to be like? Well, they are a hardy people. I mean, they've seen a lot of turmoil over the last 150 years or so, if you just go through the history books. So they know what, you know, privation is and, and, you know, standing in lines from the old Soviet days. I mean, they're not looking to that, but they're very proud people culturally. You know, they have their own history that goes back a millennia and a half, just like we see from China. You know, they date their history back right. four or 5,000 years. And so they, they seem to prize uh, a strong man, you know, at the helm. I mean, that's just culturally where they've where they've been. There was that opening in the 1990s when the Soviet Union collapsed and the West came in. You know, the U.S. and Germany and others say, "Oh, well, this is how you do a modern, you know, representative republic and free market economics and all." And it was too much for them to absorb. 
uh, because you knocked out all the state support, you know, all the subsidies and the stipends and those sorts of things. And so you have winners and losers in a free market, you know, capitalist sort of uh, uh, framework. And they just weren't ready for that. And so when when the strong men come back in, your Vladimir Putin's and those sorts of people, it brings order. You know, I mean, you, know, you still have um, uh, an autocrat in charge. But there's some semblance of order, and, and, it, and it's a reference point that's familiar to them. So I think this is playing out in that society, that they Russians don't want to play second fiddle to the Finns or the mm-hmm. Spanish or Brazil or something like that. You know, they view themselves as a great power. And so I think this is at the heart of some of the criticism of uh, Putin's gambit into Ukraine. It's like, well, you know, we're losing all this treasure and all of our people and yeah. Equipment isn't working, and how could you know? It's incompetent. You know, get your act together. I think is the message that's really coming into play. Mm-hmm. Dakota Wood is my guest. Dakota, we've got such um, economic problems all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of relationship does the U.S. have with Russia right now? And I know good relations between countries with respect to the economy is really important. Do we have anything going with Russia right now? Not really. I mean, you know, there is, you know, energy is a fungible commodity. So, you know, we don't get much oil from Russia, although we do some. Uh, But any oil that goes into the global market is what stabilizes prices. And when you, you know, take out some of that, then it ripples across, you know, the the global economy, you know, if if you think about it that way. So it's not like China. You know, the, the difference between the Russia and China relationship with the United States is we have huge trade flows, mm-hmm. you know, with, with China, not so much at all with Russia. You know, we don't buy, you know, engineering stuff or, you know, big pieces of machinery. Um, the caviar isn't that good. And nobody really <laughs> likes the Russian vodka when you compare it to, you know, Polish. But, I mean, it's so, so it's a different kind of dynamic. You know, they, they never really got their economy mobilized in a way that would allow them to compete with, you know, Germany and Japan uh, and others in those marketplaces. So, you know, hence these uh, sanctions that have been put in place on a lot of exports out of Russia that the United States market could deal with the, the small losses of not getting something in from Russia. I mean, who buys a Russian car, right, on the American market? Yeah. Completely different story when you're talking about someplace like China. Yeah, good point. Uh, Dakota, how do leaders from uh, countries, how do they view each other? How do they perceive the administration here in the United States? Um, what are they, what, when they see yeah. what's going on here and the leadership and what we're doing, funding Ukraine up to $40 billion plus, what are their thoughts about us? You know, if if you uh, think about a sports coach or a church leader or uh, or a parent in a family, if you have a solid track record of performance, you know you're trustworthy. You hew to your word. Um, then when something when there's a stumble, there's a lot of forgiveness there. You know, people will give you a pass on that because in general things are good to go and you're going to come back to it, right? What we have seen over the last couple of years though is a lot of stumbling on the part of the United States. You know, trying to get back into the nuclear deal with Iran, the the debacle that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, you know, are we in Syria or not? You know, assisting people. What's our relationship with Iraq, which has not been good the last two years or so? And so these other leaders uh, in Germany and Great Britain and France uh, and elsewhere. 
uh, hear the United States leadership today saying, hey, we're back, <laughs> you know, uh, we're going to be there for you. And yet they don't see that actually in practice in an effective way. Right. So in global affairs and relationships between countries, you can say you have similar ideals. But if they don't see competence in the execution of foreign policy, then they really start to question. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, the, you know, the Europeans doubling down on their defense accounts. Uh, Japan is openly considering should they get into the nuclear field as well. They've doubled their own defense spending from one percent to two percent of GDP. Israel is finding, you know, is charting its own path, right? Uh, relationships with the Biden administration are not what they were with the Trump administration. And so, you know, Israel is, is seeing that it has to take matters into its own hands, hence the danger of a near nuclear Iran. If Israel isn't confident that the United States will do something, then Israel itself will have to do something. So mm-hmm. this relationship between world leaders really depends on demonstrated competence and the execution of foreign policy statements. And I think that confidence has really been shaken in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. Dakota, can Russia divide Europe? And what is Europe going to do to solve their energy problem? Yeah, the the proof to that is going to be December and January, uh, as winter really sets in. So there are uh, already street protests in some of the capitals in Italy and Spain and Germany and elsewhere, where a quadrupling of energy costs, you know, people having to decide, uh, do I use my oven to cook food or do I use that same amount of energy to heat my home, right? Mm -hmm. You know, those sorts of things, selective use of lights. So if the public uh, is really feeling the pinch of energy costs and they really hear the drums of war not too far away, then, then that public pressure could mount such that the governments in place pressure Ukraine to seek some kind of a negotiated settlement, which would mean the loss of a fifth of that country, you know, if not more. So it's going to depend on the will of the people and whether they view a dominant Russia in Europe as some kind of a long-term threat that causes them to persevere right in their national support to what the Ukrainians are doing. And I think we really won't know that until we get into the really cold winter months and, you know, how these Nord Stream pipelines that were damaged in, in the Baltic Sea, how all that is resolved. Mm-hmm. Dakota, we just have a minute left. I'm curious, you obviously know way more than probably any of any of us, including me. And I'm thinking when you lay your head on the pillow, do you do you rest OK or are you kind of nervous about what's going on? I'm nervous. Okay. Uh, we've got a major report coming out on October 18th. Uh, we do this annual report card of the U.S. military, you know, the power that guards and secures our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not good trends. I mean, okay. the average age of an Air Force fighter is 32 years old. Uh, the the Army uh, fell short by a quarter, uh, 25% of its recruiting goals uh, for this year. Over half of our Navy ships greater than 20 years old, and we only have half as many as we did during the Cold War. So there hasn't been the attention paid to U.S. military power in this very disordered world commensurate with where our interests are at. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm I'm concerned, and I'm hoping that that there are some good discussions going on in Congress, and and we kind of return to this need to be a force for good uh, in in today's times. Yeah, thank you so much, Dakota, for um, being on the show today. It's really been nice to talk to you. Dakota Wood has been my guest. Learn more about him at heritage.org. We'll take a little break. Aletha Barnett's going to join me. We're going to talk.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Okay, here, here's a pop quiz. Have you ever unfriended a friend? Or maybe there's a family member who you kind of have stopped talking to because they believe differently than you. And, the, you know, the, the world is full of conflict, but there are lots of people that are, have these heated arguments behind their keyboard and they fire off these emails and these texts and it is not pretty. But sometimes um, conflict can get really uh, problematic and we get to the point where we literally stop talking to each other. So we're going to talk to Aletha Barnett. She's written a book called Diversity of a Different Kind. She says, no arena of society exists free of conflict. And that I know to be true. Aletha, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you, Bill. Thank you for having me. I am so uh, delighted to meet you. Um, let's let's talk about, now, first, the title of your book, Diversity of a Different Kind. So sometimes I think of or of race or gender when we discuss diversity. But you look at diversity on a much broader scale. How do you define diversity? Well, my definition of diversity is very simple. It's just differences. <laughs> okay. And God has created uh, diversity in so many ways well beyond race. You mentioned race. We've got uh, spiritual gift differences, personality differences, and we know those personality differences can bring uh, clashes, even learning styles, generational differences, gender differences. We talk about 12, at least 12 differences in the book that are common to all of us that can bring clashes. Mm-hmm. And I know in your book, you, you sort of encourage people to allow for differences. Um, so how should we uh, look at that and how should we navigate our way through these differences? Because we have conflict all over the place. You know, we've heard that God loves diversity. Just look around. And, of course, we know he loves diversity. But God is also strategic. Uh, The book is really a fresh approach to resolving conflict. And we should look at diversity as an assignment. When we have these diversity encounters and we have these clashes, those are assignments from God to teach us something. So we should embrace the differences and learn to grow uh, from the differences. That's his chief aim for us, is to grow to be uh, more Christ-like. So our strategic God created human diversity, and this is the theory of the book, to give us naturally arising opportunities to practice biblical principles. And when we do that, it produces the byproduct of Christ-like character growth. That's what he wants for us more than anything, is to grow And when we grow, it gives us the wisdom to unify and be at peace instead of conflict and division. Mm, So good. Aletha Barnett is my guest. Her book is Diversity of a Different Kind, A Fresh Approach to Resolving Conflict. So, Aletha, we talked about spiritual growth just a little bit and unity and love. How do they all fit together? Well, it's all under, undergirded by love. If we could get love right, we've got it all. Because we know <laughs> yeah. that the two greatest commandments, love God with everything within you, that's my little interpretation. And, of course, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we love people, we won't do them harm. They won't do us harm. Uh, it will just work together. 
for our good. And so we approach it in terms of love. And we also approach it in terms of respecting people. Everybody is made in God's image. So that in and of itself makes us valuable. And we treat valuables with care. The most precious valuable you have is not more valuable than any uh, human being. You speak the truth. Thank you. Let's talk about the three-pronged approach to managing differences, because we all have them and we need some help in this department. Yeah, there's a three-pronged approach. And the first one is, when you have that in diversity encounter, as I said, look at that as an assignment from God. That encounter didn't get to you, but that God allowed it. Mm. And just like our, our human teachers give us assignments for what they want us to learn, no less the master teacher allows us to have these encounters so we can grow from there. And the second part of that is that we are ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Every believer is a minister of reconciliation. That's not just for preachers and teachers. That's for every one of us. And there are four parts of it. The first part we know, of course, would be salvation. The second part would also be getting others to come to Christ. We are all to make uh, disciples. And the third part that I want to focus on The third and the fourth part relate to peacemaking. We are to live peaceful, reconciled lives ourselves, and fourth, help other people do the same. So to rehash first, it's an assignment. Second, you are a minister of reconciliation. Another way that we hear it commonly said is that we are ambassadors of Christ. And the third one is the icing on the cake. You follow biblical principles. Mm properly interrelate with others. If we apply biblical principles to it, then we've got it. Aletha Barnett, that is beautiful coaching. I am ready to get back in the game right now. (laughs) Let's let's talk about um, how we can experience constructive conflict management with other people. Because if we're not patient, if we don't have tools, it can go bad really quickly. Yes, constructive uh, conflict Management. There, well, before we say that, let's say there are two ways to handle conflict. You either handle it constructively or you handle it destructively. And when you handle it constructively, you handle it in a God-honoring manner. You embrace the differences. You embrace the person. Now, I'm not talking about when I say allow for the differences of others, I'm not talking about allowing for sin. I'm talking about allowing for the different personalities in the person, the different opinions uh, that are not sinful. So we do it constructively. And when we handle it destructively, obviously, uh, we're handling it in a non-God-honoring manner. We're like on the devil's team when we handle conflict destructively. Mm-hmm. Aletha, I want to ask you a question that almost feels a little bit uh, like a fantasy. But how do you think our world would look if if every believer rushed to pursue a, a peaceful relationship with every other believer? It would change the world, in oh, fact. Amen. That's what, that's what the world needs to see, because Christ said that you will know my disciples 
by the love they have for one another. And it would be much like, I guess, Tertullian said in the uh, first century church that even the pagans said, see how they love one another. And that's what the world's not seeing in us oftentimes is see how we love one another. It would change everything. And sometimes, Bill, I feel like the world system is infiltrating the church instead of what the church has flowing out to the culture to make the difference in the world. Yeah, so well said, and I also believe that is true, Aletha. Um, in your book, you, d- you talk about six unchangeable differences. I am real curious as to have you elaborate on all that. Yes, those differences, like I said, are designed uh, by God to give us those naturally arising opportunities to, to help us grow. And these differences uh, are natural. Uh, we've got what we, what I refer to in the book as unchangeable differences, and we also have what I refer to as changeable differences. There are certain things about us that we cannot change. For example, I'm an African-American. That's how God decided to bring me into the world, and that cannot uh, change. And so we have changeable differences, and we also have um, the unchangeable differences. The uh, When we talk about changeable differences, I'll give you an example of, of one of those uh, religions. Oftentimes, we will look at those who are not of the faith and be negative about those, forgetting the fact that at one time, we were all outside the faith. Mm-hmm. And so we can't bring people to Christ being negative. We can only do that uh, when we show them love. And so I'm trying to specifically get here to the um, unchangeable differences. I'll name uh, a couple of them. Spiritual gifts, as I said. And you know the thing about the spiritual gifts, they are specifically given to us to unify the body and to build up and mature the church. And yet we have uh, sometimes unhealthy jealousies as a result of it. And then we have our, speaking again, continuing with the unchangeable differences, personalities. We've got the personality classes that we're familiar with. And then most people would be familiar, familiar with the disc personalities. There's the direct personality. There's the critical personality. There's the life of the party, the I uh, on the disc personality, and also the S supportive personality. We need all of those. Sometimes when we're out of order, we need that critical personality, but they just need to remember to speak the truth and love and not uh, criticism. And sometimes we need that S supportive personality. Moving, I don't want to belabor the time on those, but God gave us exactly what we need. And he wired us to need each other, even in the personalities, in the spiritual gifts. We need each other, designed so we could need each other. The learning styles, the race, generational differences, and even gender. And then the changeable ones, of course, would be uh, religion, politics, God help us. <laughs> and oh, then we've got... Yeah experiences, socioeconomics, and even the way we respond to conflict. Some are inclined naturally to attack. Some 
inclined to run from it, and then some are more inclined to be peacemakers. And even when we talk about unchangeable differences, personal preferences can lead to conflict. And then never forget the fact that the spiritual maturity level, if I would stress any right now, it would be that one. Everybody's not at the same level as everybody else. And so let's bear the infirmities of the weak, uh, those who may not know how to handle conflict. And so we want to model it for them. We want to encourage uh, them. And then there are people, of course, who are outside the faith who may thrive in conflict. So we've got all these differences that when we learn how to operate with love, it helps us grow, it helps other people grow, and it makes the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Aletha Barnett is my guest, and it sounds, Aletha, like uh, we're kind of a messy group, but God had a purpose in all of our messiness. Absolutely. He's strategic. And, you know, <laughs> one of the things that I, I, I said to myself when this theory came to me and right before that, it was like, God, you're a God of peace. You want to set peace and all these differences cause conflict. And I'm like, what's up with that? What? Why? And so it came to me that he's strategic. He did it for a reason. And we know that adversity builds character. Mm-hmm. And so when we're going through it, we're not just going through it, we should grow through it. Mm. So wise. That is so wise. Thank you for uh, reminding us of that. Uh, Aletha Barnett is my guest. Her book is Diversity of a Different Kind, a Fresh Approach to Resolving Conflict. So when I uh, come back from the break, I want to ask her about uh, generation, generational things and how do the generations differ and how can they experience more unity? We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Aletha Barnett. She is a theologian, a lawyer, and a conflict resolution specialist who's directed the Conflict Resolution Ministry at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas for over 30 years. She's founder of the Conciliation Services, which provide conflict uh, resolution services and training to churches, other individuals, and organizations. Uh, Her book is called Diversity of a Different Kind, A Fresh Approach to Resolving Conflict. So, Aletha, I would love for you um, to focus on generational. How, how do the generations differ, and how can they experience more unity? God designed us to live in generational cycles. Mm-hmm. And the first one you can look at is the basic family unit. You've got parents and children in different generations. Obviously, a child cannot take care of itself, so God put us in uh, generational uh, differences designed by 
um, what happens during that period of time. And we live in generational cycles, and scientists have done studies and research. And we have, let's talk about the generation, the greatest generation, which was one time referred to as the uh, builder generation. That would be the World War II uh, people, the FDR administration and, and um, the Great Depression. Then you've got the silent generation, which was next, uh, the boomer generation, and we've all heard of at one time the boomer generation was the uh, largest generation but as that generation is moving on like the others you've got gen x and of course um, gen z and certain things define uh, each uh, generation but one of the things is that just take the millennials for uh, example and you hear people complaining about the millennials uh, all the time but god gave us the different generations. For example, the Bible was very clear that the older generation is to mentor the younger generation. Specifically, it talked about older men mentoring the younger men and older women mentoring uh, the younger women. But he gives qualifications for mentoring that you be mature in the faith. So that which causes clashes, that's what God gave us to help each other because as you age you should be gaining wisdom and that which you have gained you could share it with the younger uh, generation with the younger generations and when you think about scripture for example in exodus it says joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation Mm -hmm. says the same thing about David, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his generation, he fell asleep. And it's a number of different examples of that. However, the thing to remember is though our generations pass away, God is constant and reigns forever. And so our focus should be on glorifying God, which is the chief uh, thing throughout Scripture. The main thing throughout Scripture is to bring God glory. That is exactly why we were created. According to Isaiah 43 and 7, we were created for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. And so these intergenerational battles are, are not wise because it all passes away. Mm-hmm. And as the old expression goes, only what we do for Christ will last. I love that. Olitha Barnett is my guest. Her book is Diversity of a Different Kind. Earlier, uh, before the break, we talked about unchangeable differences that you discussed in your book. And I would love maybe if you would talk about some examples of changeable differences, because that has me at the edge of my seat right now. I'll just talk specifically about religion. That's a changeable difference. Okay. all of us were at one time outside the faith. Of course. Your audience, of course, uh, would be believers, I believe. And so we were outside of the faith, and we were able to change to uh, accept Christ. And the thing that is so wonderful about Christianity, it is the only religion where we don't have to do something to please our God. He accepts us, accepts us based on grace. We don't deserve it. Uh, but he gives it to us. Mm-hmm. 
Another changeable difference would be spiritual maturity level that changes. And thank God, (laughs) because there was a time that I could not have been a guest talking about conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had not matured to that level. And so our maturity level is uh, progressive. That's what sanctification is all about. And so when we're dealing with other people, let's remember they may not be at the level we are. Like we change, give them love and grace, mm. and they too uh, will change. And when we change with the spiritual maturity level, then we will learn how to uh, allow for the differences of others. Even the way we respond to conflict, Bill, I may have mentioned this, is different. Some of us are, are escape people from conflict. Some are peacemakers, and some are even attack people. I had an uh, an employee that used to work with us, and we, we said, she's got to fight with someone. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's just her style, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've all seen those who just seem like they thrive uh, in conflict. Yeah. But, but in terms, but they can change. They can change. Mm-hmm. By the grace of God. And they, some of them might have come into that honestly if they grew up in a home where uh, yelling was the way that you uh, realized something was being said and communicated. And that's how you got to the conclusion of something with a raised voice. That is exactly right. We learn uh, different things from our environment, from our experiences, from my from the way we were reared. Uh, there was one lady who talked in a certain manner and was somewhat hostile. And I met her many years ago and visited her. She wanted us to visit, uh, go visit her mom. And her mom had the same mannerisms, the same incident. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so then I, then I understood more. Yeah. All right, Aletha, let, maybe we can talk about conflict in, in, a, in a healthier and more biblical way. Again, I, I want to go back to some wonderful tools we can, we can learn for being healthier. One of the tools and the, the, one of the primary ones that I mentioned was just allow for the differences of others. Mm. We're not wired the same way. God didn't put us, uh, put us together uh, in the same way. And so the tools are important because conflict is unavoidable. We know we're going to have conflict. And it's much like when I, I worked at a bank many years ago. We didn't know whether we would ever have a robbery, but we were prepared. Mm-hmm. And so we know we're going to have conflict. So let's put tools in our arsenals to help us uh, manage uh, conflict. And one of the things to remember is, I'll give two different ones and hopefully we'll, we can get them in, uh, is when you get the encounter, recognize it's an assignment from God, you're an ambassador of Christ, and then separate that fellow image bearer from their behavior. Bear with the person and treat them with respect and dignity and recognize that their behavior is what you are dealing with. Oftentimes, it's not conflict. It's the condition of the heart more than the fact that it's conflict. Mm-hmm. And so you also try to separate and see, is this conflict based on a differing opinion or if it's a sin issue? 
if it's a different opinion, if you can compromise, because we all have different perspectives and allow for differences. But if it's a sin issue, don't compromise. Another tool to always remember is to uh, remember love. Mm-hmm. And then um, Matthew 18, 15, 17, it gives us the steps for conflict resolution. Matthew 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them just between the two of you. And if they listen, you want them. But what we do oftentimes is we go and tell our friends and they tell our friends and they polarize when they should have never been involved. So go first to the person in private. And then Matthew eighteen sixteen would be take someone along with you if you were not able to uh, resolve it. And the, mm-hmm. the Matthew eighteen seventeen tell it to the church. And that's where the church needs to come in to keep peace in the body of Christ. And just a hit of just a couple of others is that let who you are dictate your actions. If you profess Christ, you're his ambassador. And so let who you are guide your behavior. And what that really says is let your actions show love. Mm-hmm. Got that unruly tongue. The last one is watch your words. Oh, yeah, that is so true. Thank you so much for uh, bringing so much great content and full of scripture and always reminding us of love. So thank you for being on the show. It's been a delight meeting you. Thank you. It's been a delight being on the show, and I appreciate your having me. Thank you. Aletha Barnett's been my guest. Her book is Diversity of a Different Kind, a Fresh Approach to Resolving Conflict with a Forward by Dr. Tony Evans. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic, you can sign up for uh, at, for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. I think you should do it. I think it's great. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.